Feels like winter already. We have the call to worship. O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye all of his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation. Let us stand and sing hymn 244, 244.
So God above, we rejoice in your eternal kingdom and your promise. Indeed, Lord, that you will work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure and that you shall return triumphant at last, even as, Lord, you are triumphant now, God, and exercising your power throughout this world and especially through your church. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hymn 491, 491.
Let us pray. Our God, our hearts are filled with the delight of the salvation and the joy that we have and the knowledge, Lord, that you love us and are taking care of us and guiding us, Lord, and preserving our soul and our body ultimately at the great resurrection. Our Lord, we long for that day and we long, God, that we would continue to follow your ways and help, Lord, us, one another, to help one another to follow your ways, God and to be encouraged by your word and the gospel promise therein. We pray in particular for the various and sundry difficulties we find ourselves in in this life, in this fallen world, Lord, and our fallen bodies. We think of COVID, Lord, and its impact upon our society, not only in the deaths, for it's a little worse than the flu, Lord, but especially economically and materially in many various sundry ways, God, where people's livelihoods are aligned, or they lose their job, or where they get a shot, God. And so we pray for them, especially for the Christians, God, that you would help them resolve this difficult matter in their lives, Lord. We wish sometimes there was an easy answer to all these things, but we realize we live in a fallen world, and sometimes there is no easy and quick solution, God, and resolution to these things. We are thankful to the extent, God, that you have preserved us and preserved our church, Lord, even though COVID has deeply impacted us. We pray for continued protection, continued wisdom therein, uh, Lord, and access again to good health in this regard in particular. We pray and ask, Lord, that you would be with our church and our churches here in Denver and across this nation, Lord, for their freedom and protection uh, from, again, wicked laws and politicians and the like, locally and nationally, who wish to undermine uh, the churches and Christians in general, Lord, for they have little need for us and indeed seems more and more are hateful towards us and what we believe, God. And we ask, Lord, especially for the purity and the strength in the church, God, that the freedoms given to them uh, through our history and the Constitution that we have, Lord, would not be an excuse to be lazy with respect to the Word of God, uh, to be indifferent to the doctrines of your truth, Lord. We pray, God, that she would stand firm and use the freedom to the advantage of the members of the church, that they, Lord, would not be accosted or distracted or lose access to good, faithful preaching, Lord, in particular, and so that the churches would stand firm and demand such purity of preaching and the pure word of God Almighty, we pray. Help them, Lord, we pray to that end. Help us, God, to stay pure as well, to become more pure and to purge ourselves, both as individuals, families, and churches, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, God, to be more in accordance to your word, we ask, God, to these things and to this end. We pray in particular, Lord, that we would pray, that we read your word and memorize it uh, as we can so that we can grow in our sanctification and knowledge of who you are to grow thereby and to apply it to our lives, God, to be obedient to you, to be more sanctified, to be more holy, to stand firm against the wiles of the devil and temptations around us. We lift up, Lord, the health of our body. We pray for COVID, but we pray now, Lord, in general, for our, our health, to take care of ourselves with exercise and diet as we are able, Lord. And to have, we ask for continued medical access, that things would not be restricted because of COVID again, Lord, uh, that we would have access to what is needful for our, our works and for our bodies, Lord, and the like, God above. And we pray, Lord, that we would not take these things for granted and that Lord Jesus, that you keep us healthy and pray especially for those with chronic ailments, uh, for difficulties they've had for a long time or some new things that have come upon us. We've heard of late, Lord, that the doctors would find out what it is and we can deal with these matters and that they can come home uh, safely, Lord, and overcome these difficulties upon their bodies. And may we remember, Lord, that our bodies indeed are failing us. And although we are called to pray for it, take care of it as it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we know that it will fail us and fall apart ultimately. And so we long again 
as we prayed at the beginning, for the day of the resurrection, the day of Christ's return, the day of great justice and judgment and mercy upon your people, to bring all things under your feet in the fullness of your glory. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Praise God, whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We lift up your name on high at God Almighty. Again, thankful for these tithes and offerings and pray for your blessings upon them and upon those who have given them, Lord, that we would continue to be blessed by you, God, not for our own sake, but for your sake, that we can give more in the future and to help, Lord, the kingdom of God to grow. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And I'll just stop breathing. I don't know. I cannot duplicate it. You know, the uh, radio shows, I grew up listening to John MacArthur, for example, at noon. I had noon off. You have your hour break from high school. I walked home. It was about three-quarters of a mile. Run, walk, bike ride, and I would listen to him. All that's edited. They clean it all up. They cut out all the gaps, and they play it. Sorry, I'm unedited. Okay, Psalm 27. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path. 
because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let us pray. In this psalm, God Almighty, we are given encouragements in opening sentences here in the verses that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And he continues, Lord, to cry out to you that you would hear his voice and that he could seek your face of mercy and privilege, even as, Lord, he reminds himself that he must wait upon your deliverance. And so, Lord, we are taught here in vivid fashion that we are called to wait upon the Lord. We must wait knowing that God will deliver us in your time. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Waiting, waiting and waiting can be hard. Is hard. For many years, decades, I myself was impatient on any number of things. But over time, as many of us have experienced ourselves, we become more patient in understanding how things really work in life. Even so, it's hard to wait on the Lord, especially when the problems are pressing. They are real problems that they must be dealt with soon. We have many things we juggle in life, and then something terrible happens, and it all falls apart. Then we are especially impatient for God to fix everything and fix it soon. So we need the kind of encouragement given here to wait. Especially, of course, when we have no other choice but to wait. Those times we must move forward when we can, of course, when we do not have to wait, when we can do righteous things, we can overcome the wicked. But often it seems we have to wait, nevertheless. This is especially hard when dealing with injustices, as David seems to be dealing with in this psalm. He alludes to it in a few other verses here, especially at the end. And if we look more carefully here and take the advice of David, we can learn again the old lesson of waiting on the Lord. Wait for the Lord is my salvation. I carry the theme of wait through the three points there because he ends with that thought and the idea. I think it's there thus by implication at the beginning, even though he seems to talk very well with much encouragement in the opening few verses, what verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We're like, okay, great. David's happy. He acknowledges his knowledge of the Lord and his trust in God that he is great. He has no fear. His enemies come against him. They want to eat up his flesh. And they stumble and fall, we read in verse 2. My heart shall not fear, verse 3, though the war may rise against me. So what's David's problem? He acknowledges that. This is true, and he has comfort in it. And yet, as much as you can acknowledge that, you can still be impatient and still have to learn to wait. He says it at the end of the psalm. Wait. He says it twice. It's emphatic. And so I think it's an applied theme throughout the entire psalm in which he ends with, yes, you know these things. Yes, you cry out to the Lord. But at the end of the day, you've got to wait on his providence. You've got to wait for his final decision in these matters at times when there's nothing you can do. Wait for the Lord is my salvation. Wait. Wait upon him, verses 1 through 3. Whom shall I fear, verses 1 to 2? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
Of course, it's a rhetorical question. That is, he knows the answer to it. It's not like he's really curious. I don't, I don't know who. He's saying, I can fear nobody. No one I should fear because God is on my side. Lord, right? L-O-R-D, all capital letters. The covenant-keeping God is my light and my salvation or deliverer. He can see the path to victory. God will save me from my mortal enemies. That's often what he's talking about in the Psalms. Although, of course, it applies spiritually as well. The enemies of the church, spiritually speaking, and the devil, sin, people who work for the devil, as it were, those are also the enemies of the church, and we can pray in those uh, matters as well as the psalmist does. But in particular, in the time and space which he found himself as king of Israel, the enemies were flesh and blood who wished to kill him and kill the Jews and destroy the nation. And so the idea of salvation there or, or deliverer is one of physical deliverance. And of course, if you trust in God with physical deliverance, you also trust him in spiritual deliverance, as he also mentions about his own sins, as we read in prior Psalms. And so the language of light and deliverer is not the language, I think, of light in the sense of, well, now I have more knowledge of God's law as much as I have the light of victory. I can see clearly what God's going to do in providence to protect me or what he has to do, of course, with his sword that God gives him in his providence to fight the enemies or whatever the case is, and God will deliver him and protect him. He is his strength in life. Uh, when the wicked come against me, verse 2, to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes stumble. The Lord is the strength of my life, he says in the second half of verse 1, before we have the rest of it. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my deliverer. We read elsewhere in the Psalms. The strength of my life, both the sustainer of it and the empower, empowerer of it. Empowering David to fight Israel's war. That's what he means by strength. Of course, the strength also means all of his life, his spiritual life as well as his physical life. It's not as though David believes God only cares about the body and doesn't care about the soul. Obviously not. He means all of it. It is God who equips us and God who sustains us, brothers and sisters, not just David. He equips his people for their respective tasks. His was a king, and God is his strength, so he can be a king. And God is your strength, so you can be a husband, and so you can be a wife, and so you can be a student, and so that you can be a worker or an owner of a business or whatever you are called in this life. And that includes, of course, fighting sin and temptation in those vocations and callings in life. The failed enemies, we read in verse 2, when the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumble and fall. You see, again, this graphic imagery of cannibalism and of eating, we read like in Micah, for example, that was economic destruction, of course, in that language. Here, again, it's not cannibalism as such, but he means with respect to war, to destroy him. Or other ways, we read about, and for example, verse 12, for false witnesses have risen against me, so they eat my reputation, we would say, perhaps. Right, they're devouring uh, my social credits. <laughs> so it's not to be taken literal in that sense, but it is something real. It is a problem. It's someone who wishes to destroy him. But they're going to fail. They stumble and fall all over themselves, perhaps in the imagery of them trying to flee, or just falling, coming after him, falling into their own pits and their own traps. We read elsewhere in the Psalms. God will make them stumble if they do not repent. That is God's promise to his people that will be fulfilled partly in this life and ultimately when Christ returns. And of course it happens in our own life this day, perhaps at work, in your neighborhood. Uh, Things happen. People are trying to ruin your job, make you look terrible as a Christian worker. They might get away with it. They won't when Christ comes, of course. 
But sometimes they don't. Perhaps you have stories in which it almost looked really bad for your company, it almost looked bad for your job, for your business, but it turned around and it found out that those people who tried to destroy your reputation, your job, and your livelihood, uh, or your family, fell on their own faces. Confidence in God we have here is what he's basically standing for. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. That's pretty serious. War's coming after me. I Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'd be scared and you ought to be scared. The Bible talks about fear. It's a healthy fear. Keep your hand away from fire. These are good things in war. But see, he is called, brothers and sisters. This is why it's important to know what's going on, what's being said. He's called to fight. I mean, he's a warrior. The kings have got to fight. When he didn't fight, he got in trouble, didn't he? <laughs> Almost ruined his family and marriage. So we can use this, again, language, although materially, physically real for him, for ourselves, for things that aren't dealing with war. The battle of business, perhaps taking care of family matters. Whatever it is, we too, like the psalmist, can have the confidence that God is with us and working through the difficulties in our lives and will ultimately vindicate us. Of course, if we have sin and brought the difficulty upon ourselves, we must submit to the consequences. But as a soldier of war is what I want to drill into. They can outnumber me, we would say, 10 to 1, 100 to 1, and I won't back down. That's what he's saying. Though an army may encamp against me, I shall not fear, for God will be with me. He trained my arm. Remember, we read that one of the Psalms. He trained me to fight, to pull the bow, so he can, he's equipped for his job. And so his confidence, then, is not in a vacuum. Isn't that interesting? As a charismatic, I was raised to have this weird, vacuous faith. Well, God will just work anything out for you. What do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. God will take care of it all. What? So I don't have to memorize and take my test? You've heard the story from Dr. Coppice. I love that story. The kid's like, I prayed and prayed all night. He, write, he writes in the notes to the test. I prayed and prayed all night for answers, and I got nothing. And, and then it's like, yeah, God gets an A, and you get an F. <laughs> David still had to use a sword. David still had to use tactics to fight. And he was confident that God had equipped him to do his job, is my point. Bob has a job, and you all have a job, and others have had... Number of you retired now. Both Bobs have jobs. <laughs> and you know well, what it means to be confident. And that's not pride. You have been equipped. You know how to do your job and do it well. That's part of the confidence in God that God has equipped you and you're exercising those gifts. It is a gift. Again, I, I, you've been a charismatic for 10, 15 years. It's drilled in. You hear the word gifts. It's something woo, weird and wacky. No, it's just providential gifts, talents. You got an eye for this, you got a hand for that, you got a brain for this. Use it, you can in confidence, and you don't have to uh, beat yourself up, but rather, I trust in the Lord that He has equipped me and that I can fight the battles, and He did. And we see over and over again David winning battle after battle, it seems. It's a power horse, powerhouse. The war rise up against me. We are soldiers of the cross course, more broadly, besides the things of this world with respect to our ability that God has given us, that we can be confident that the Lord is with us in the abilities he's equipped us with, but also in our battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
that we fight against principalities in high places, wicked men and wicked schemes, to take down the church, to take down the pastors, to take down the families. And we are called in different ways to fight against that, with prayer, with encouragement, with just simply being here, and encouraging one another, advising one another. There's different ways in which you are equipped for the soldiering of the spiritual battles that we have. And so, we read here in the opening three verses of Psalm 27, David is confident, confident in God, and that God has equipped him that he can battle, he can do his job as a king and as a defender of the kingdom, his responsibility in God's kingdom. But behind it again is, this is true, Lord, <laughs> and I, I, still, I still have desires and I still have prayers. And so we come to the second point. Wait for the Lord is my desire, verse 4 through 6. So I think part of this is him talking to himself, reminding himself of what he believes, and we need that. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Desire for God's house. Obviously, it's not a desire for God's house. Right? Desire for God's house is a shorthand for saying desire for God because God is the builder and the maker of the house. I want to be here and near him. Because the symbolism of the Old Testament was God was near his people in the temple and not just in the temple, but within the, um, the court of the priest and not just, just within the court of the priest, but within the Holy of Holies. Concentric circles, right? And not just within the Holy of Holies, but then once a year with the great atonement. That's the imagery here. I want to be near my Lord. My desires for what it represents, the greatness of God Almighty, the beauty of holiness and power. All the days of my life to be close to God. The physical closeness as another way of speaking of the spiritual closeness. Of being holy and like our Lord and doing all that he desires and wills. To be like Jesus. What was the food and meat of Jesus? He said, to do the will of my Father. This is another way of talking about doing the will of the Father and being near the Father. It is where he learns in the temple of God. It is where he learns about God's holiness and about God's love. The sacrifices show his justice as well as his love because, as we know, the, the Lamb represents the Son of God who dies for the offerer, who dies for us, who offers, as it were, Jesus. But Christ is also the priest who's doing the offering. He does both. So it shows his justice and his mercy. And, of course, he learns the law of God and the gospel of God. The priests are supposed to instruct the word of God to the Israel of old. The Torah, the first five books of the law, which have the gospel in them very clearly. A place of refuge. It's not just a place of desire, desire to be near God and the beauty of his holiness, but a place of refuge, I read, verse 5. For in the time of trouble... He will hide me in his pavilion. I'll be protected in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me and I shall be set upon a rock. Preserved. Physical protection, of course. He's far away from uh, the distant thunders of war, being in Jerusalem, being in the uh, court of the men. Remember, he's not a priest. He'd be in the court of the men, so further away from the center of worship. A place of encouragement that God is with David and God is with his people and God is protecting his people, not only physically, but ultimately spiritually, as the sacrifices represent the moral reality that Christ saves sinners. But the spiritual protection is also here in his language. From Satan's onslaught, from the temptation and lies of the world, 
And the instruction given through the sacrifices, for they were instructions and teaching of, of a baby sort to the Old Testament church. But today, of course, it's preaching and teaching the Word of God. And that you learn to feed upon Him and the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer having to see and smell dead animals and burnt sacrifices. But you hear it and you believe that Jesus Christ will protect your soul and he will hide you in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle, showing the intimate care that God has for your soul and ultimately your body, as we know. And he shall hide me and set me upon a rock in protection. This place of spiritual protection is also a place of confidence. Verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in the tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So he desires to be with God. He desires to be near him, partly to be protected and also partly to have victory, that God is with him and he should be lifted up. Of course, the language of lifting up his head is a language of confidence as opposed to down and cast down and you just bowed your shoulders down and I've lost, I'm humiliated. No, but I've stood up tall and strong. God has been with me. I've won the battles in his name. Confidence in this case leads to what? Verse 6, Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy. Victory leads to confidence and worship, joy in worship. Victory leads to joy in worship. Public worship is a place to express confidence, is express a, a place to express joy and happiness. Let us come to worship not only for our concerns and prayer before him, but also with our confidence and praise that God has been with us, God has delivered us, God has protected us. He kept my job, he kept my house, he kept my car. My wife and I, both of us, were near accidents this week. I mean, she was had a near miss, near hit, whatever you want to call it, Right through a solid red light. It wasn't just like blushing. It wasn't like barely there. I mean, this guy was barreling, didn't hit his brakes at all. My, just missed my wife, was even closer to one or two other cars going the other direction, right? Turning left against traffic. I was a madman. I actually saw an accident on Bowles. Other side of the mall, Kipling. And it was sitting in the right lane. I stopped, 1001, 1002. That's how long the light was red. And the car didn't miss a heartbeat just drove straight and hit the car going left. Kareen went this way. He, of course, spun around. His tail flipped around. I'm just like, take that man's license away. Where's the cop when you need him? That's crazy. Why would you do that? God protected us. I could have been in that lane. I could have been just decided to turn in the right lane. You know, hey, it's getting kind of slow here. The traffic's heavy here. I'll go in the right lane. The guy would have hit me. He was not paying attention, obviously. It was in la-la land. God watches over us, brothers and sisters. And so we go to worship, thanking him for that. It's part of what public praise is on Sunday. Verses 8 and following, uh, 7 through 14, excuse me. Wait for the Lord is my answer, or my answer, or the one who answers to me and will answer my prayers. Wait for him, verses 7 through 14. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. So here's his confidence in verses 1 through 3, and his desire in verses 4 through 6, 
But it hasn't been answered yet. His confidence hasn't been replied yet, right? There's not been an apparently immediate response of deliverance. And so he's crying out to God here. I cry out to the Lord. Even though I acknowledge and I believe it's true, but I still have to tell myself, i got to wait, i got to wait, i got to wait. I still have to cry out to him, hear me. So he starts with confidence, expresses desire for God's protection, verses 4 through 6, but it hasn't happened yet. Now he cries out for help. Seek my face, have mercy upon me, and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, O Lord, I will seek. The language of seeking the face of God is the language of seeing and getting help from him and getting favor from him. If you seek the help of the king, you are asked to come into the judgment chambers to see him face to face. He's saying, I'm willing to listen to you. And so his prayer is, God, will you listen to me? I want to be able to see your face, the language of kingship and of petitions. We have none of that, so it's good to watch some of those old movies now and then, even though it's Hollywood. They have a lot of that there. It reminds us of the formalism and the language they use. Because for, for thousands of years we had these. We had monarchies and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of nations. And you couldn't just walk, walk in to see the king. You could lose your head. They're going to jump you. You think, the, you. you think the secret police is really bad with our president. You've got nothing on the kings. And so if he's willing to let you see him, to come confront him face to face, that's a sign of privilege and maybe he'll even be merciful to you. And so this is the plea of David, the king, to the king of the universe, because he's but a servant to that king. Seek my face, God says. That is the gospel call, brothers and sisters. Come to me, all you who are burdened with heavy burdens upon your shoulders, the burden of sin and of guilt. And I will give you the face of mercy. I will not turn you away. I will not look, cast you aside. I don't want to see you anymore, right? The king looks away. That's not a good sign, is it? Whoa. <laughs> not interested in what you have to say. Rather, he is looking, and it's a face of mercy upon us. And that is what David is pleading for, brothers and sisters. And he gets the answer, of course, of mercy. And the response of faith is, your face, Lord, I will seek. For I have nowhere else to go. That is the gospel. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Verse 9. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. It seems to be a concern of his. Do not hide your face from me. Perhaps I have sinned. I sinned too much. And yet there's confidence. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You have been my help. He acknowledges that. So there's this mixture of belief and concern and fear that we've all experienced as Christians. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Mark, the book of Mark, when he comes up to Jesus. There's no one else to cry to but him. And he describes one of the worst miseries, as you can imagine, for people, besides their own spouse, is their family. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. That's sad indeed, and yet he is confident, although my own family, my own flesh and blood would reject me because I follow Jesus. It matters not because I have Jesus. And that's hard because we want our families to be with us to go to heaven with us. People ask me, 
is family member saved? They died 10, 15 years ago. Are they Christians? Are they going to heaven? I, I can't give them an I don't know. Unless they, unless they can confidently tell me they were Christians, I can't give them an answer. And I don't like, I don't like having to answer that way. I, I don't know. I think it's easier to say, I don't know, instead of, no, I don't think they're going to heaven. I don't know them. I didn't know what they were just before they died or what was going on. But this is a concern. It's a heart-wrenching difficulty, as you can imagine. Like for David, I'll lose my family. But you'll never forsake me. Then the Lord will take care of me. Especially true today with broken marriages increasing and growing in number, and you feel like your family is no longer a family. I have no family. Reminder that God will reward us with what? A new heavenly family. You will be rewarded a hundredfold, Jesus tells us. You lose your father, your mother, and your brother, and your sister, but I'll give you a new family in heaven. Lead me, verses 11 through 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. Teach me the righteous way, not just in general, which is good, of course, anyways, whatever God teaches us is good, but to teach me to walk uprightly so as to avoid the enemies, I take it to mean, the enemies' traps, to apply God's law in my life, right? Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. Lead me to the smooth path because of my enemies. They are the difficult path. They are the ones who wish to trip me up and take me down as a king. As we read in the next few verses, right? They have false witnesses. They breathe out violence against me in verse 12. They want to kill me. And so, teach me your way, O Lord. Of course, there is the way of victory, the way of surviving through his mortal enemies. And again, we don't have that today, thankfully. I haven't gotten to war or anything, but it's still applicable to us because we want to walk between the enemy's traps, the enemy's, the, Satan our enemy, our own flesh, temptation towards sin, to avoid these things, to be wise and apply God's law to our lives and have protection. God protects us through the means he's given us, and that includes his law, to protect me. And we read something that sounds familiar to something in the New Testament, doesn't it? Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. Do not Lead me into temptation. An Old Testament theme. Obviously, temptation is an adversary. <laughs> it's a wicked thing to take, coming to take you down. There's lies about David, apparently. For false witnesses have risen against me. They lie about me, and they whisper about me. There's a whisper campaign, or something worse than that in wartime, of course. And they breathe out violence. It's a terrible time. For David. He believes God will deliver him, but it hasn't happened yet. And he's convincing himself or reminding himself, this is true. God is my desire. God is my protection. God is my light, my deliverer. And I can cry out to him, Lord, don't leave me. He says, do not leave me. Protect me. And I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It is important to remind ourselves and to learn church history, as we do in Sunday school class, your own history, as I mentioned, the near misses for my wife and myself to some degree, that God is watching us, and he is good for us and good to us, and that justice has indeed been exercised even in our own life, although not in all things. Because if you do not see the goodness of God, you will lose your heart. You will be in despair. You will want to give up. But he says, I saw it. Unless I had not seen it and believed it, I, I would have lost heart. But in the land of living, I haven't gone to heaven yet, and I see the goodness of my God and justice and deliverance and protection and providing even for me. Wait on the Lord. 
Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait, justice will occur. You will be vindicated. It's easy to be impatient, especially when dealing with serious matters, matters of justice for our family and for our church. Perhaps your family has wrongfully abandoned you. Your enemies are lying about you. Verse 12, right? Trying to kill you. The cause of our Lord and Savior is at risk. And there's nothing we can do. The implication is there's nothing, there's nothing more he can do except cry out to God. I, I cannot fight them. I don't know where they are. Perhaps they're hiding. My hands are tied politically. Or, you know, whatever the case is, we know how this is in real life. We feel very powerless sometimes. And the only response in those cases is to wait upon the Lord. To come back to this Psalm 27, highlight those verses, verse 14, and wait and wait and wait. His providence sometimes stops us and tells us there's nothing you can do. You just have to wait. We have no way to execute justice, but we must wait. We are stymied, and sometimes we have to even be silent. But in all cases, we must wait. Wait because we know God is my desire. Wait because we know God is my salvation and deliverer. It will happen. If not now, it will happen when Christ returns, brothers and sisters. Does David, of course, does not give us an easy one, two, three step for waiting. He just simply says, you've got to wait. Suck it up, buttercup. It is hard. But it's not impossible to sit and wait upon God to read your Bible, to pray, to talk, but wait, and always waiting. And in that waiting, we should not be discouraged, but persevere, knowing that God has protected us of old, as David writes in verses 1 through 3, knowing that God is our heart's desire, as he writes in verses 4 through 6, and knowing that God hears your prayers and will be your refuge, as we read in the last few verses. Life can be hard, brothers and sisters. Temptation's real, injustice is unbearable. Yet the word of God is true. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your hearts. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen, and let us pray. What more can we add, God, to these sacred words, but that we would wait and pray that we would wait and persevere in our waiting, Lord, when we have to wait. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 27.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.